The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. All right. Well, welcome, Dror. It is another episode of the Video Insiders. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Hey, I'm doing doing really well and uh, so excited to be back on the microphone. As we've said before, we we tend to kind of clump our recordings together. And I, I think it's been a couple weeks since we last did an interview. So this is really exciting for me. Yeah, it was uh, the summer, uh, summer uh, vacation. and uh, But I think we still managed uh, to squeeze some uh, good content uh, there. We did. We yeah. did. Yeah. And you've been busy. Speaking of vacations and travel, where were you last week? Yeah, well, I just got back from um, the SPIE conference. It's a large conference. Uh, It was in uh, San Diego around all the different applications of uh, light and imaging and vision. And uh, there was a specific uh, subconference about applications of uh, digital image processing which was uh, very exciting. I spent two days there. We also presented two papers, uh, one of them on our CABR, Content Adaptive uh, Encoding, which is um, a part of our uh, HEVC and AVC encoders. And the second one about uh, AutoVista, which is actually a system we developed for um, enabling uh, very fast, even uh, overnight, subjective uh, visual testing with hundreds of users using uh, Amazon Mechanical Turk and the client application we developed and uh, some uh, uh, some scripts for for processing all that data. So uh, both of these uh, presentations went uh, very well. I think audience was uh, quite excited. But uh, on top of that, for me, it was a great experience to uh, finally meet in person some of the key video researchers around the world. And I think, uh, you know, these are the people that you can really call video insiders. I mean... (laughs) That's right. These are the ones... (laughs) These are are the real video insiders. (laughs) The real insiders, the experts in Codex, the ones who are um, chairing the committees and editing the standards in the MPEG committee and uh, the open source standards as well. So it was really a great pleasure to meet with all these people and, you know, discuss with them algorithms and standards and when they, where the industry is going. So we had a very interesting uh, session on the future of video coding where uh, uh, various people presented uh, the new algorithms that are being implemented in the latest video standards, such as EVC, that's now called MPEG-5, VVC, and uh, AV1. And we had a session on quality evaluations. We had some presentations on neural networks. It seems that, uh, yeah, it seems that people uh, like to use neural wet networks, whether they are needed or not. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> you know? it, uh, that's the ultimate academic exercise, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It, it's, it, it works. Um, it's, it's kind of neat and, and clean. Works on its own. You don't always understand what it does. It gets you the results. Uh, you, can so, you can show, in some cases, um, better uh, quality or increase 
the CPU performance is, is quite heavy and it's, it's also pretty symmetric. So also on the decode side, but also, you know, it was very interesting to see where the industry is going on that front. And uh, that uh, session on future of video coding ended with a very interesting panel. You know, usually in academic conferences, they don't have panels. But uh, in this one, they had a panel with many of the presenters of that session that talked about uh, the future, about uh, Codex, Committee Codex, EVC, which is um, a new standard that has a royalty-free baseline and another tier, which is the main tier that has uh, patents, but they are uh, well known and defined, and you don't need to search for the patent owners, you know, for years after that, and and of course uh, VVC, which is the next MPEG standard coming out uh, mid next year, and uh, AV1 as well, which was represented by uh, Google and um, and Mozilla. So that was very interesting. That panel is online, and uh, we're going to yes, speak- we'll have to link to that uh, in the show notes. It's it's definitely worth watching. Yeah. So uh, finally, I'd like to uh, send some shout-outs to our colleagues, the video experts. First of all, uh, Pankaj Topiwala from FastVOD. He was the chairman of the Future of Video Coding Standard and the moderator of the panel. And we also met with Gary Sullivan from Microsoft. He was the chairman of AVC, HEVC, and he's now the chairman of VVC committee as well. Benjamin Brass from Fraunhofer was also a key com- contributor to H- AVC and HEVC and also the NVVC. And he's the editor of HEVC Standard. Dan Groyce from Comcast, who also chaired um, a panel at the conference. Oliver from NG Codec, now Xilinx. Yuri from Brightcove. Roman for Huawei. It, it was really great seeing all of those uh, people and, uh, you know, strengthening our ties in the industry. And uh, it, it was a fun event, you know, uh, it's not every day that you get a chance to talk with the top video researchers in the world, exchange ideas. So we really liked, uh, really liked it, and um, we'd like to thank everybody for participating and uh, contributing to this event. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wasn't able to join you. I had my own event that I was at actually a few days before, but I did catch that panel online uh, that you're you're talking about, and um, it really seemed like an incredible event. So, and I know that um, we'll actually, uh, in fact, I'll be speaking along with Yuri at IBC on a UHD forum panel, UHD forum masterclass, and we'll be talking about encoding. Uh, so that's at IBC. On uh, Saturday, the fourteenth of September. So, if anybody's gonna gonna be there in Amsterdam, come join we'll us. Be able to see you uh, live, not only That's hear right. you. That's right. We would love. I I would love the opportunity to meet uh, more of the video insiders. But um, yeah. yeah, so so drawer. It was pretty exciting because AMD had a very well publicized event on August seventh, where they announced their second generation Epic. Mm-hmm. And um, I just have to say it. This is a epic processor, <laughs> sixty-four <laughs> cores. <laughs> wow, sixty-four physical cores. Sixty-four physical cores. This is just a monster. Now, no doubt, you know, Intel, of course, has has their uh, th- their silicon, uh, you know, coming, and uh, so you know the the race continues. I think Moore's law is absolutely not dead. Seven nano 
nanometers is here. And, yeah. you know, I think there's even discussion of five nanometers and it's just, it's, it's amazing. I have to, I have to make one comment and then we really do have to jump in with our amazing guest. But so, so my dad actually retired with Hewlett Packard as a engineer in the clean room. And, uh, and this is, you know, when, when HP was, uh, had a very large was, uh, you know, this is years and years ago. And I remember when I was, I want to say maybe I was seventh grade. So, you know, so 12 years old. So I, I won't let everyone know how old I am. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a long time ago. He yeah. came home with a piece of plastic with a piece of silicon in the middle. And it was to celebrate 1 million transistors on this wafer. I mean, on this, you know, particular dot, you know, on this chip, million transistors. Well, this AMD 7742 has, if I recall correctly, either 32 or 34 billion transistors. (laughs) Billion. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. So anyway, well, um, no, but we you, forgot, you, forgot, you forgot the, the really interesting news about AMD. It's not just a processor. Well, that's right. It's an 8K P60 uh, live encoder. Right, right. And, the, so, and, so the news and is that we managed to run 8K P60 live in software on that processor. In software on that processor, and uh, it's a it's a, a world record. Certainly, there's um, you know certainly there's other implementations of 8K P60 you know running on hardware, but but the world record aspect is is that on a single socket of you know a single processor, so not splitting this splitting the workload up across multiple machines or or, 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 or multiple chips, we were able to achieve in software AKP60 HDR and at broadcast quality. Everybody was blown away. We were showing uh, on AK TV. It was you know it was the real deal, and um, the the response was was pretty amazing. So uh, that was fun. That was a really fun event to be at. And uh, Lisa Sue is quite the rock star. She of course is the CEO of AMD and. Um, yeah, uh, that company yeah. is on fire. So yeah, yeah, it it, yeah. it really looks great, and uh, it was kind of a secret event because there was no. It was very down. secret. We were. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't breathe the word the embargo. So here's the thing. So the it, all of the news and the announcements and everything was embargoed up till uh, 4 p.m. on August 4 p.m. Pacific on August 7th, and and yet we were there giving press tours and and, and the keynote started I guess at two. 2.30 p.m., I think, somewhere around there is when the keynote started. And so we're all sitting there and I had to hold myself back because I so badly, you know, wanted to tweet out something or put something on our Facebook page or LinkedIn post or something. I'm like, no, 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 no don't do, it. Don't, do it. don't do it. Don't be that guy. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, it was it was a lot of fun. Well, Jorp, why don't yeah. you introduce our guest? Yes, I guess it's time. Uh, today, it we have uh, really a wonderful uh, guest with us uh, today, dealing not with the video compression, but with the video delivery, which is uh, as important as the compression to get uh, the whole uh, workflow right. If you compress the video, that's nice, but if it can't get to its destination on time with low delay and with no breaks, it, it doesn't really help. It's not so, that useful. <laughs> yeah, not that useful. So uh, today we are very happy to host Hadar Weiss. He's the CEO and co-founder 
of uh, Pier 5. So welcome, Hadar. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks uh, for inviting me. Yeah, it's lovely to host you. Uh, can you give us um, like a short intro to yourself personally and, uh, and to Pier 5 as a company? Sure. So uh, you're right. Uh, compression is one uh, aspect. You then need to get those bits at the end to the end user, and uh, Pier 5 is doing that. I started uh, the company with two of my co-founders in 2012 with the mission to decentralize the internet. It was not only about video for us back then. Very quickly, we found out that the most interesting problem to solve is video distribution, that video distribution is, is very centralized, which means that as an end user, you're watching a video today. It used to be worse, but you're connected to a single CDN, you're getting that uh, video bits, those sophisticated encoded video bits from a single location. And if that location is not reliable, not scalable, then there's a problem. That's where you know, you're going to see rebuffering and, and all sorts of problems. So that's how you know, the internet today works using CDNs. And CDNs are terrific technology. They've been around in the market for over 10, 20 years. But we want to decentralize it. And we found out in actually 2011, a wonderful API, a wonderful standard that, that was emerging called WebRTC, stands for Web Real-Time Communication. Google uh, developed that, Google pushed that with a lot of uh, force in the industry with, together with Cisco. Later on, uh, Mozilla joined, and just uh, two years ago, Microsoft and Apple joined as well, which means today that every modern browser that you're using has WebRTC baked inside, which is amazing. Back then when we started, it was, uh, you know, it was the wettest dream to have WebRTC in every browser because for us as, uh, as engineers, we're all software engineers, we're pretty geeky. What it means is that now when you build a web application, not only that it can pull bits from a server, from a CDN, from that single uh, centralized location, it can also connect to other nodes, other endpoints, and uh, we can form very interesting dynamic mesh networks, and that's what Pier 5 does. I want to emphasize just that it's still using the, the CDN, so our approach is not the purest peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer. There are many different architectures of peer-to-peer. -peer. We can get to that in a second, but in the highest level, it's peer-assisted delivery that works together with existing CDNs. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Hadar, I remember we met you in, I, I think, 2014 at IBC. Would you have been there in at IBC in 2014? Yeah, that probably was yeah, our first time. Your first show, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. And we were, I think we were even neighbors in the Israeli pavilion or, yeah. or we were close to each other anyway. And right. I, we were I, peers and we were peers. Yeah. Yes. We were peering. <laughs> and, and, and since then, uh, how many references did you get for Pied Piper, right? <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. Silicon so, Valley. <laughs> so us too. We get so many. And even one of the episodes of uh, Pied Piper references the, referenced the WebRTC. And yeah, um, yeah. It, it's unbelievable how uh, how many similarities uh, Pier Five had to has with <laughs> Pi Piper. So it's so it's hilarious. That's awesome. But, yeah, but that's it, awesome. It, to be frank, I think your company has even 
a more uh, you know a similar uh, analogy to PyTypher. So sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, we, we do the compression itself, but I think missions of both companies is to reduce the bandwidth that's needed uh, to stream video. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations on the accomplishment of uh, getting WebRTC into you know the browsers. Now I'm I'm just curious. Did you were you involved in pushing that? Did that have to go through the W3C or was that just a matter of the browser guys all saying, hey, we should adopt this? Or Yeah, know, so there were like? two uh, working groups, the W3C and uh, the IETF that yeah. uh, put the specs. Obviously, Pier 5 was not, uh, you know, in the orders of magnitude of, of Google, Microsoft, Cisco, and all these guys. We're using a part of WebRTC that is called the Data Channels API. And in the beginning, it was really uh, the small brother of the main API. So the main API is used for real-time communication. You know, mm-hmm. if you wanted to build, if you want to build an application like Skype, you use that real-time application. It includes a lot of uh, a lot of codecs that are in the spec, and that creates a lot of complexity, as you can imagine, because all the browsers yeah. needs to implement that. Uh, we can talk just about that for hours, <laughs> but sure. we're using the Data Channels API, which is lesser known, much simpler. It is a, basically a, a protocol that is built on top of UDP and SCTP that you can send any arbitrary data. It doesn't have to be a video. It doesn't have to be encoded in any specific way. When we began, when we, we just started, we created the first, uh, I would say the first famous WebRTC-based app that was called ShareFest and Google featured us on stage in the Google I.O. because it was so new. So mm. for us, I think we had an advantage of building something on a pretty obscure API at that time. And uh, they actually listened to our feedback and created uh, changes to the API and had to fix some bugs and still do need to fix things and improve the APIs to address that use case, which was a little bit different than the most uh, known use case at that time. Wow. Congratulations. I mean, that's uh, so I'm curious, the data channel API, is that then how most today, is that how most WebRTC solutions are are communicating or or are you still unique? So so I would say the real-time applications, Google Hangouts, Slack, Facebook Messenger, they all use the the real-time API. The real-time. Okay. Which is, which is uh, basically, it's based on RTP and then the, the most, the most uh, yeah, you can use codecs like uh, VP9. I think they have HEVC now, all, all the modern codecs. Mm-hmm. In terms of the applications that use the Data Channels API, those are the, the mesh networks. Companies like us, there is a famous open source of, of a friend of mine that, that is WebTorrent. It's more the purest approach. Uh, there are serv- several games that are based on uh, WebRTC uh, data channels. And many applications, I, th- I think even the uh, application that we use now, I mean, it uses WebRTC, RTP protocol, but it also often allows you to send files. When you send a file on the br- web browser to another person, usually it's using the data, channel, the, the data channels API. I see. Interesting. So I noticed that um, you've expanded your your product, your solution line, and now it seems like you have a really heavy focus on your multi-CDN product. Maybe you can uh, tell us what that evolution looked like. Um, you haven't abandoned your right. peer-to-peer, but um, 
yeah, tell us tell us how you evolved into that and what right. this multi CDN product is. Right. So in general, peer to peer is a very good complementary technology to CDN. I said that in the beginning that. Uh, we're not replacing CDNs altogether. You still need, you know, if you're familiar with peer-to-peer networks, there's always the seed, right? So imagine you're watching a football game. Someone needs to have to have the initial content to send the first peer that, that joins, right? Let's say you're only That's the right. only person that watch. Who has the content at the beginning? In peer-to-peer networks, there is a seeder, which is usually a device, a server or a single computer somewhere. In OTT, it doesn't work like that. You need an initial capacity that, that would be providing a consistent and very reliable streaming experience. So cannot say, hey, stop using CDN. If you're taking video seriously, you need to, to use at least one CDN as a, as a baseline, as a seeder. Then what Peer5 does, it acts as, as the last mile delivery technology to enhance the CDN coverage that exists with that CDN. So for imagine, imagine you're using, you want to stream your football game, you're using, uh, let's say, Akamai, which is the most famous CDN. They don't necessarily have pops every in every corner around the world. That's where peer-to-peer is very effective to give you pops in rural areas in Brazil, in India, in Australia, in places where the capacity is very, very limited. And peer-to-peer does not have that problem. It's actually the opposite. The more users that join in those uh, remote areas, the more capacity uh, we can provide and the better experience uh, we, we have. So that's the basic uh, that peer-to-peer works very well with CDNs. And whenever there's, you know, there is no concurrency, the CDN is very important and effective, and there is no problem for the CDN to deliver content in very high quality. But when, the, when you're talking about millions of concurrent viewers in areas outside of North America and Europe, peer-to-peer is very, very effective and helps. So actually, these two solutions uh, complement each other. You can use the, the CDN approach from the long haul and then uh, for the last mile use uh, peer-to-peer. Yeah, totally. It's like jelly and peanut butter, right? You have the, the, the mix is amazing. They and, go together. <laughs> and they go together very well. And yeah. I think people expect us to kind of like uh, say, stop using CDNs and take the approach of, uh, you know, the, the, the devil's advocate or something like that. But we're practical and we understand that CDNs are essential. essential, And that's actually the reason to prove that even more. We decided to invest heavily in the multi-CDN product, which we think is important. So So how does the peer-to-peer work? Is it actually every user is uh, streaming packets that he's receiving from the CDN or from other users, again, on the network uh, to, to, to multiple users? Yes, every user is connected in a dynamic way to other uh, viewers. It's not that you're streaming from a single viewer, and if that viewer is uh, suddenly going away or something like that, your streaming stops. HTTP streaming today is all uh, based on files, and then today, we'll talk about it later, uh, there's like smaller uh, units of chunks, and you can assemble and reconstruct a video stream from multiple places in a reliable way with those chunks. And if one uh, viewer that is sending you data suddenly drops or, or, or losing uh, some speed, you can uh, in real time change your decisions and pull some, some of those chunks either from the CDN or from other viewers. 
So as a user, you would see heavier utilization of your upload uh, bandwidth. You would see some utilization, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're thinking about, let's say, a live stream, on average, we're seeing offloading of uh, 70% of the bandwidth, right? So that 70% of the bandwidth uh, uh, went from the CDN to the peer-to-peer. So meaning that 30% still needs to come from the CDN, but 70% now needs to come from the end users themselves. So on average, mm-hmm. if you do the math, about 70% about 70% of what you're downloading is being uploaded, right, as an end user. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So it's much more symmetrical than regular uh, video viewing where you're mostly downloading and the uplink is only used for acknowledgements and, and stuff like right. that. Right, right. And, and, and take also into account that we're not really uploading from uh, 3G or 4G networks. So if we detect that uh, you're coming from those networks and you're more likely to run on, like, has a, like a build a plan, we're not contributing to the peer-to-peer network. So we will only consume from the peer-to-peer network and not contribute back. So we will not send any data that will incur costs Mm -hmm. for you as an end user. The users don't have to consent to being part of the peer-to-peer network, right? They don't. Just goes on seamlessly. Yeah, they don't have to. Content providers that implement Peer5 decide how they want to communicate the fact that they're using this technology. Most Mm -hmm. of them do that completely seamless. The nice thing about WebRTC is that, again, that, that, that software is installed on your browser and, and there, there are no opt-in messages, there are no warnings and that require you to agree to participate. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's the best user experience just to go with that, do that in a very uh, conservative way and make sure that the user experience is great and not to frighten the user too much. But some content providers put messages and do it as an opt-in message or, or as an opt-out message. You can completely control that because it's all in JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Are most of the users, deliver, most of your customers, meaning the actual video services that you're who are using your technology to deliver bits, is the end device a browser or does this also work on any other connected devices, TVs, Roku, Apple TV, et cetera? Or what are the limitations right. on device? That's a sensitive point because Roku, for instance, is a very closed environment. If someone can... Uh... If one of the listeners of your uh, of your show is uh, working for Roku and can uh, help, please contact me later. <laughs> but peer-to-peer technologies are client-side technologies. You need an SDK. That's right. And yeah. For web, it's JavaScript, and it's very easy to deploy, very easy to manage. For Android and iOS, it's also an SDK, and we provide those SDKs. We also provide SDKs for some smart TVs. Roku is one example for a platform that we do not support today. We're working on that. And is that just purely an access issue? It's not a technology problem or is there? Correct. Yes. I mean, we need to implement WebRTC or WebRTC sometimes already exists and we just need to use it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we need either of them. And uh, right now it's not possible to do that on Roku. Got it. But the good news is that, A, they listen and it's uh, something that will happen one day. And B, you you can still uh, back off to the CDN. So it's not the end of the world. And the, the C, 
there are other technologies that we provide in that case, which is the multi-CDN. Yeah, that's a good point. So a video distributor doesn't have to say, for example, oh, because Roku is not supported, I can't I can't get the benefits on other platforms that I deliver to. Right. As you say, you know, the CDN works just fine. It's seamless to the user so they can deploy. So one of the things that I noticed when I was, you know, doing a little bit of homework here for our interview is that you have received a, a very high honor from Sedexus that you're the fastest. Uh, your multi-CDN is the fastest. What was what is the secret, you know, to achieving that speed? That's pretty amazing accomplishment. Thank you. So, you know, maybe I can uh, continue the the story of how we even got to to do multi-CDN. Yes, please do. So, we complemented uh, different CDNs for years as a peer-to-peer uh, provider worked with every CDN you can imagine. And uh, we gained some experience in in monitoring CDNs. We provide analytics that show uh, our customers how their CDN performs. Sometimes they use our analytics, they get it for free, and they use it uh, constantly, not even uh, in in relation for the peer-to-peer system, but but just to know what kind of experience they get uh, from their CDN. And it gave us some insights for how we want to implement multi-CDN. We saw that multi-CDNs are not really implemented in the way we think they should. We're vain, and, and later on we discovered how hard it is <laughs> to, build, <laughs> to build something like that. And, you know, it is a big challenge. And I, you know, now we understand uh, better even why it's hard. We knew in the beginning what are the challenges, but we discovered a few new ones. Can you give a can you give even just one example of where your initial assumption was that they weren't doing it correctly or the best way and then maybe later you found out, okay, I understand why. <laughs> right. So so I think the most interesting example is just that you get tired of implementing more CDNs. You mm. add, you know, you start with one CDN and then someone decides hey, I want multi-CDN, I need redundancy, I, I want better performance, I better, better coverage, right? Those are the main reasons uh, I want to control costs. Those are all the main reasons yeah. why people... Yeah, better, uh, better reliability. Yeah, better reliability. If one CDN goes down, I need uh, the other one. That's the, the redundancy. So that's the basic one. Yeah. So you need at least two, right? When you get to two, you get pretty good redundancy, but you don't necessarily get uh, great coverage. So for international companies, sometimes you need local CDNs. And sometimes you need uh, specialized CDNs. And that was our insight. You know, we want to give much more CDNs that are specialized in order to provide the best coverage and the best performance, even after the reliability part. For sure, we're, we're the most reliable CDN. But uh, from uh, yeah, six nines to seven nines of uh, reliability, not every company mm-hmm. care about it that much. But companies do care about the quality, and uh, which is affected a lot by the throughput. And that, that part is uh, more visible, I think. So we thought, hey, I mean, why people stop at two, three, four CDNs? I mean, ideally, you should use 10, 15 CDNs. And that, that's, that's what we did. But we realized just how hard it is to maintain those CDNs and, and the fact that there is no standardization in the APIs. You cannot just uh, build, you cannot just use a single API to rule all those different CDNs. So a lot of the vendors, uh, a lot of the providers just uh, stop at at two or three. And actually, maybe it's one of the dirty secrets of multi-CDNs, 
some companies say they have multi-CDN, maybe you know they want to brag about it, but at the end, a lot of them, it's more like a backup CDN. So they have a major CDN. Maybe they use the other CDN in a geography where they got a really good price, but they use just that CDN. And they can switch the plug manually if something goes wrong. It's not a true multi-CDN in the, in the full stack. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't there also the challenge of, of having to strike a, a, a commercial deal with each of these? Because everybody wants, you know, to lock you in, right? So, exactly. I mean, it seems to me like that right there is even a huge barrier. Now I've got to go negotiate, I won't name names, but with CDN1 and then CDN2 and CDN3 and everybody wants to give me more incentive to use them over the next guy. And yeah, that's a, also a challenge, right? How, how do you solve that or, or how, it, how I do mean, you address I mean, we, we have the same headache. We thought okay. we're going to be the, the nice guys that have yeah. this headache and save that headache for everybody else. Yeah. But, but it's, it's complicated. Yes, we do a lot of juggling. We do a lot of uh, commercial commit planning, and, and it's hard. I think that we're getting to a point where we have leverage and we have the scale that it, it really makes sense, right? That suddenly we get better prices, people start to know us better, they offer us more favorable terms in terms of the commit, sometimes no commit at all. So I think some people in the industry have a lot of experience in that. And it does require a lot of experience and know-how in this market to get good terms. And some companies are able to have very good prices without commits. So it gets them the flexibility to, to make changes. Sure, sure. So I guess maybe I missed that. So actually, if I'm a customer of Pier 5, I don't need to go strike those deals. You've already struck those deals for me. And then, however, you know, you're passing through the pricing, slightly marking it up, whatever. But the point is, is I only I only have a commercial deal with you. Exactly. Is, is that what you're saying? Okay. Exactly. And, I, and okay. I think that's the main differentiator. There's a lot of value there. There's a ton of value. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And in the beginning, we didn't understand how much uh, hard it's going to be for How us. much value. Yeah. <laughs> hard it is, but yeah. We got the headache. You guys benefit from that. Yeah. Good yeah. for you. Well, you're, 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 you're like us, I imagine. You know, you're an engineering-driven company. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm sure, you know, and we've faced at various points in the development of our our products and solutions, a similar thing where we're thinking, but that's not really an engineering challenge. Like that's a business, like, like, you know, we, we want to solve engineering problems, you know, but then you realize that when you can engineer a business solution, sometimes that's even more valuable than your actual, than than your IP. The hardest challenges are the business challenges. It's the business engineering. For for everybody. Yeah, it's amazing. But, but the reason we did it was an engineering perspective that we said, hey, we're not going to stop at three CDNs because it's hard to negotiate deals with them. We're going to stop at 20 CDNs where we're going to feel that the coverage is really, really good and any additional CDN yeah. has very small benefit. Sure, sure. And that was like yeah. a big undertaking and we're still working on that. I mean, six months later... It's still a challenge for us now to, we have a process of vetting CDNs. We build some automation for testing different CDNs. There are so many moving pieces and knobs that sometimes are not in, even available in the APIs. Often they're not even available in the UI that you have to mm. test. And suddenly, okay, you open a support ticket and then say, oh, you know what? You need that feature. We need to open it for you. 
I'll give an example of something we run into very frequently is the origin shield. Origin shield is very important in video delivery because if you're delivering an event, let's say, let's say you're delivering a cricket game for 10 million people. Uh, actually, it happens, right? <laughs> yes. And you, the, the, the game is in India. You ingest that content there. You're ingesting it uh, in India. And now you want to stream it to expat community in the U.S. The origin server is usually also in India. If you're going to try to stream from that origin server, from that poor origin server to the U.S., not only that you're going to probably going to completely overload that server, let's say you solved it by uh, getting ten, tens of gigabits per second uh, connection, the CDN is going to pull all the way from POPs in North America to your origin. So you're going to get between 200 milliseconds to a second and a half, we've seen sometimes, latency between the POP and your origin. And good CDNs allow you to create shielding, intermediate uh, cache, between the origin and and the and the edge edge locations, and that's something that is rarely available in the API or in the UI. So you have to kind of like engineer it, unfortunately, manually at this point. And some of the CDNs opened for us some APIs that uh, basically we've done some work one time, and now we can uh, when we set new customers on board, we can uh, duplicate that configuration to have it by default. So, so basically, what you are building, I mean, to, to the user, to the customers, you present yourself as a, as a CDN because they're using you for delivery services, and underneath you're aggregating multiple CDNs. Exactly, exactly. That's it. So, so to the customer, you're giving like a, a single price. I mean, I, I assume it is tiered, but it's a single price, and it doesn't depend on which of the 15 or 20 CDNs you're using. Right under the hood to enable that service. Right, and we don't uh, commit to use one CDN or the other. It's important for us to have that flexibility, right? right? Uh, what we commit sometimes is for the quality, and I think that's that's a change. Uh, the CDNs are the building blocks. CDNs, if we talk about the larger trends in the market, CDNs, it becomes commodity, and, and no one, you know, the CDNs admit it themselves. Now, the question is how you use the commodity in the smartest way. The fact that it becomes commodity is helpful because the interfaces to the users, to the, to the customers that use those CDNs, are, are becoming more and more similar. It's not yet standardized, unfortunately, but the differences are not that big from CDN A and B. And so many companies are deploying multi-CDNs. So the same requirements, you know, uh, for origin shield and, and different cache headers and so forth go to, to each and every CDN and the differences are not that big. So our, our mission right now is to create that abstraction layer that sits between those uh, building blocks, those CDNs and the customer and provide a seamless delivery layer that is not, is not limited to certain geographies or very expensive prices, or you know, it can really scale to anything you want. Mm-hmm. So I assume if you're providing a better service than a regular raw CDN by aggregating the multiple CDNs, you provide better quality, and then you can charge a price premium above the regular price of, of a CDN service, which is now a commodity. True. So it, it's the quality, it's the maintenance. That that the best customers that we have right now are customers that try to implement multi-CDN or, or 
or already implemented multi-CDN, but just understand how much work involved in, in this. And so they they are willing to pay a premium for that. They're happy to pay premium for that if we take that headache from them. Yeah, yeah. It's great. So you're like the aspirin for CDN. <laughs> Yeah, aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> we still need some aspirin ourselves, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're working on that. Yeah, they take you take away the headache, then you have a headache, <laughs> okay. right? And, 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 that, and that's the it. reason. So that's the secret for for the Sedexis results. I mean, we just use fifteen different CDNs. Yeah, and and that that's the basic that get, only with that we're the we're the fastest. And then on top of that, that's another interesting subject is we built our our own proprietary switching algorithms that that really choose the best CDNs at all times. Mm. It's less important for synthetic tests that uh, Sedexis does. So just to give a little bit of context, you know, when you compare CDNs, you can just uh, put the test object in each of the CDNs, the same test object, and just you know hit that test object and measure throughput and latency in different locations around the world. I think something that more and more video companies are starting to, to be aware of is the fact that it does not represent real-world video delivery. Real-world video delivery, we're talking about usually larger objects and varying sizes. And the object is not always cached, right? So sometimes, when, especially when you're talking about live, maybe the, there's a new object that is now being created, a new TS segment file, for instance, that needs to be pushed for different areas. And that's where the middle mile delivery, the middle mile between the origin and the edge servers becomes crucial. So sometimes if you compare a, a synthetic objects, you would see, oh, wow, that CDN really performs amazingly in, in uh, Brazil or anywhere around the world, doesn't matter. But at the end, when you actually deploy a, a real video on that CDN, suddenly the results are so different. Like it's off the charts in terms of the latency, in terms of the throughput that you get to those areas. And it's a challenge to uh, incorporate real data that comes from real users and use that to make smarter decisions. So I, th- I think I, yeah. I, I'm not sure if you got the whole uh, point, but what Pier 5 does, and, and we still perfect that system, is that we measure real video throughput and latency. We measure it from real users on real uh, segments. And we ingest that data, all this telemetry data, back to our systems to make smarter decisions on what exact CDN you're going to use. And that gets us to even better performance than what you can see on Sodexis, which is, again, a synthetic test benchmark. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. But- so you, what I what I hear you saying is, is that there's there's two very distinct parts to your your secret sauce. You know, to right. use the Valley lingo. <laughs> One, we've we've covered at length of just your ability to go strike the deals, get uh, get the commercial deals done, pricing, etc. Which there's certainly value in that because it's hard, and so that's not to you know undermine the worth there. But but the second piece is this is this technical ability to switch which is very unique and is that you know am I correct to think that maybe that's why some of your competitors as you point out you know they say they're multi-cdn but it's really kind of a primary cdn with a failover is it because they maybe don't lack that same level of sophistication or 
could that be one reason why they take that approach? I think that it's crucial to have control over the whole stack, and that's why uh, yeah, that's why that's we right. decided to take ownership of those accounts with all the headache that of contracting and setting up those accounts uh, technically. It's crucial to be able to pull data directly from uh, those accounts uh, from each and every CDN to make more informed decisions. And most of the solutions, all of the solutions to my knowledge are either doing justice switching or or, uh, at the CDN level. And so you can it's very hard for you to build that uh, uh, that workflow that ingest from the end user you need some client side footprint to do that and take that data and uh, ingest that back to back to some bi uh, uh, system on the back end that later will make decisions uh, for each new user i can mention there are, there are solutions from different vendors for instance worth mentioning max that uh, partnered with Sedexis. So now you can, uh, if you implement separately Mux, you'll get real, uh, you'll get measurements from quality of experience measurements from the player, and you can connect it with your Sedexis that you need to do separately. And then separately, you need to go to the CDNs and contract with them and tell Mux and CDN, okay, these are the CDNs that I measure. So if you want, if you're, and, and that's what CBS did, for instance, yeah, you can see that in their uh, in their reports about the Super Bowl. But you need a team, you know. CBS uh, has Zach and 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 a lot of smart people there that do that twenty four seven, you know. Uh, and, and I think they can do that, but not a lot of video companies really have a lot in, enough manpower to to build it. And and I think even CBS wouldn't do that today if if. There was the right solution at that time. I think, you know, we should wrap up and, you know, let's look at just what trends are you tracking, you know, as far as technology developments or business model shifts for the CDN industry. Right. You know, what's, you know, put your little bit of the crystal ball, you know, get out your crystal ball, but um, what are you tracking? So, you know, CDNs are, are, are being commoditized and they're looking for the next uh, thing that will uh, differentiate themselves. And I think a very interesting uh, shift now in the industry is uh, edge computing, which uh, companies mm. like uh, Cloudflare, Fastly, Amazon, uh, Stackpath are, are, are pushing very aggressively. The idea is that they want you to use there are servers that are closer to the end users to do the computation. So imagine you're building an application like Uber, which is latency sensitive. You can imagine even more latency sensitive applications like the cloud computing. So instead of making all the computation somewhere in Virginia, it's going to be very close to the end user where the CDN pop is. And I think I think the use cases are, are, are real and I think the demand the demand is going to grow. So it's definitely a trend we're tracking and, and thinking about our, our place in a world where there's a lot of edge computation. In the nearer term, we're working with the CDNs just to make them more standard, make them more modern machines that 
provide uh, good APIs, real-time APIs, reporting, so we can build robust layers on top of them, right? And and that's that's something we I expect us to work uh, on in the next uh, 12 months for now at least. Well, Hadar, uh, it's really been a pleasure. You've shared some incredible insights and uh, we will continue to be tracking the development of Pier 5 and we'll have to have you on again, you know, to <laughs> share uh, additional updates, you know. I'm as sure, they, I'm as sure we're going to see each other at IBC, right? <laughs> we will. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be there. If you're at IBC, then please come to our booth. We're at uh, 5C50 and uh, say hello to uh, Mark and myself. Maybe we'll record a short, a short uh, session with you or maybe we'll just do a LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn live video. LinkedIn live video, you, yeah, right. yeah. And we invite to everybody to, to our booth at Hall 14. Uh, awesome. Next to the JW Player booth, so free advertising for a JW Player. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're appeared. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, good. Well, thank you. Okay, thanks again, Adar. Thank you, great. Adar. It was really awesome. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. It was amazing. Thank you to our wonderful listeners. And uh, you are truly the video insiders. We appreciate each and every one of you. As always, you can send us an email. Uh, if you have any ideas for the show, if you'd like to come on the show, we would love to hear from you. So just email us at the video insiders all one word, at Beamer, that's B-E-A-M-R dot com. And we'll be happy to uh, set up a time when uh, we can talk and, and we can bring you on the show. So until next time, happy encoding. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.